Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about unblocking feedback. Martin was disruptive. There was a long history of complaints against him. After the most recent grievance meeting, he was given a coach. Me. The fact that people were upset with him was something Martin knew the way a reckless driver, seeing chaos in his rearview mirror, wonders how all that happened. Because he didn't understand his contribution to the upset, he was unable to keep it from happening again. Martin knew he was stuck in a loop, but didn't understand how to stop it. What he was beginning to understand was that his lack of understanding might possibly cost him his job. I had shared a tool with him, the Johari window, that helps people see into their blind spots. He said, you're saying this problem of mine is something about me that everyone else knows, but I don't know it about myself. It's my blind spot, but that's why you're here, right? You're going to shrink my blind spot. No, I said, you're going to shrink your blind spot, but I am happy to help. How am I going to do that, he asked. I said, I'd like you to begin by hearing some feedback. People around here tell me they've given you feedback, but my sense is the message isn't really clear to you yet, which is not a blaming statement, Martin. Actually, I think you're normal. I think most people find feedback hard to hear. Defensively, he said, I can tell you everything they said in that meeting if you want. I held up my hands in surrender. I am sure. Listen, you know, by the time we're adults... I think we have all put up barriers to protect ourselves from feedback. I think barriers are natural. He gave a snort. My teenage daughter is a perfect example. She can't hear anything I say anymore. And you're trying to be helpful, right? I asked. If she'd let me. But it's not worth it. If she doesn't want my help, fine, whatever. How old is she? I asked. Fourteen, he said. My heart goes out to her think about being 14. We had been tested and graded and evaluated for years already. People had told us all the ways we were lacking, at home, at school. I mean, at 14, who doesn't barricade themselves against all that feedback? He said, by the way, she does it with my wife, too. It's not just me. And I'm saying that's natural, Martin, but we are not 14. As adults, unless we learn to lower those barriers and take in feedback, an entire part of ourselves can't grow. I mean, listen, you can be as introspective as you want, and I think that is great, but introspection only grows you in relationship to yourself. If you're going to grow in relation to others, you have to be able to take in feedback. It's doubly true if you want to be a leader. Again, defensively, he said, well, if they would just tell me what they really want, I would do it. But they keep talking about respect. I respect Maribel. I do. And I talk to her the same way I talk to everyone else. I mean, what do they want from me? I said, that, Martin, is the perfect question. What do people want from you? I think the answer is out there for you, and I would like to help you find it. How, he asked. I'd like to help you think about lowering the barriers against feedback so you can really take it in. You think I don't, he said. Well, I don't know. 
Let's find out. Are you willing? I guess, he said. Okay, so let's start with a goal. So the goal of this little exercise is to lower barriers against feedback so you can take it in. When you take in feedback, it lands you in a place where you take responsibility for the meaning. You store it in your brain and you can report it back later accurately. You are also in a place where you can be curious. You can clarify. You can ask questions. That's the goal, okay? Okay, he said. I said, you and I are going to talk about two barriers. I think everybody has them, and I think we can all work on lowering both of them. All right, he said. I said, these barriers are called them and me. Two sides of the same coin, he laughed. In this case, for sure. And either one can stop you from taking in feedback. But there are ways to lower them. So let's start with them. You know, (laughs) I think sometimes you get a piece of feedback from someone and you think, you, you are going to give me feedback? Are you kidding? What makes you think I would listen to anything you have to say? He laughed, my first wife. Well, there you go. Yeah, I think we all have people like that in our lives, right? But if we don't value the other person, we won't value their feedback. We barricade ourselves against them. Well, with her, damn straight, I wouldn't take any feedback from her, he said, amused. My point exactly, I said. Your them barrier stops you from taking in any feedback your ex might have for you. Well, you don't know her, he said. It's true, I said, but just because you don't like someone doesn't mean their feedback isn't valuable. What if both were true? Well, it'd still be hard to hear from her, he said. What if I said, that is your them barrier talking. You dismiss them, so it's easier to dismiss their feedback. Your them barrier just gave you a great reason for not taking in the feedback. Well, then what am I supposed to do, he asked. Well, first, you have to notice your them barrier. You have to say, whoop, hold on, wait, I am making it all about them instead of what they are telling me. And then, even though you don't like the person, ask a question. Ask them to clarify. Say it back to them and see if they think you're accurate. Oh, we would argue about that for an hour. (laughs) Well, I'm not suggesting that, I said. But later... Later, by yourself, ask yourself, is it possible I might have contributed to whatever she told me? I mean, could there be a grain of truth there? Suspiciously, he asked, and if there is? I said, then you start to notice where else that pops up in your life. The feedback is out there for you if you can take it in. You make it sound easy. Well, maybe it will be, Martin. I said, can I tell you about the second barrier, the me barrier? The me barrier has two parts. The first part is about truth, truth with a capital T. Have you ever had someone tell you something about yourself and you just knew they were, they're just wrong? Yeah, he said. Yeah, like when they were talking to me about respect. I really do respect her. I do. They're wrong. I nodded. Martin? That certainty, that feeling that that feedback simply isn't true, 
That is the me barrier talking. The me barrier says, that is not me. That is not true. And once again, instead of taking in the feedback, you have permission to dismiss it. He said, it feels real to me. I agreed the feeling is real, but the message attached to the feeling that there's no truth here, that message is not true. Then what can I ever do, he asked. I said, same as with your them barrier. You notice the feeling? When you hear yourself say, I don't do that, recognize it as a predictable barrier. Then ask questions about the feedback. Be curious about the feedback. Take the feedback in, right? He said tentatively. Right, I said. Then I asked him, hey, Martin, can you define that a little for me? What does taking in the feedback mean to you right now? He looked down and then said in an uncertain tone, ask questions about the feedback? Yeah, great, sure. Can I tell you what that might actually sound like? Picture yourself in that meeting, hearing their feedback. They say respect is a problem, and you think, no, it is not. They're wrong. When you hear that in your head, force yourself to ask a question. Ask them to help you understand what their feedback means. They'll just say I'm defensive, he said. If you debate their feedback and argue with them, yeah. But if you genuinely want to understand what they're saying, I don't think they'd feel that way. I went on saying, the second portion of the me barrier is self-talk, our inner monologue, all the things we tell ourselves. So let's say, let's say that part of my self-talk is that I'm a screw-up. I've been telling myself I'm a screw-up since I was a kid. It has become part of my self-image. I don't like it. It makes me feel bad about myself, but it is part of me as I was growing up. And now when I'm 30 and I have a job and someone at work gives me feedback, it does not take much for me to start telling myself, see, I'm a screw up. The feedback gets connected to my identity. And now instead of dismissing the feedback, it gets supercharged. But it is just one more way to stop me from taking in the feedback. Is there a workaround, he asked. Same as before, I said. Be curious, ask questions, challenge yourself. Did they really say I'm a screw-up? Really? Work at reporting accurately. And this is going to shrink my blind spot, he asked. If you start taking in feedback, yeah, I think it will, I answered. Martin's homework between this conversation and our next was to seek out some feedback. When he heard it, what did he tell himself about it? Could he ask questions about what he heard? Could he report it to me accurately at our next session? That conversation, following Martin's deepening journey into his blind spot, is next month's episode of The Look and Sound of Leadership. I think receiving feedback is extremely difficult. You know, that place that I described where you can, you can hear feedback and you can report it back accurately and you can ask questions about it without sounding defensive, that is a hard place to get to. Can I tell you a story about my own life? When I was a very young actor, I was just a couple years out of my training program, I had a teeny tiny role in a production of Macbeth at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles. The Amundsen Theater in those days sat about three thousand 
people, that is a lot of tickets to sell eight performances a week. And what they did in order to fill the seats was they would hire big stars in the leading roles. And for Macbeth, they cast Charlton Heston, who had been a colossus in Hollywood for decades. And as Lady Macbeth, they cast Vanessa Redgrave. A quick little side note that is not part of the story, but it still makes me laugh. Charlton Heston, you may know, was a rabid right-wing conservative. And Vanessa was a raging communist, a real communist. And they were playing Mr. and Mrs. Macbeth, and they did not like each other very much. It was great. But, but, the story is about feedback because there were a lot of us putting on this play. And when you rehearse a play, as you get closer and closer to bringing in your first audiences, you want to rehearse the play without stopping. But, of course, there are lots of things that need fixing. It's a rehearsal. So after each run-through, there are note sessions. What we would do, and this was normal, was all the actors would get out of makeup or costume or whatever was going on and meet in the theater, sit in the empty seats, all together, all of us there, and the director would work through pages and pages and pages of notes from the entire run-through. So there we are one night. I'm this young kid um, with these superstar actors and lots of famous people and lots and lots of us. I mean, man, there were a lot of us. And I got a note one night. Now, my part was so tiny. I, I usually did not get any notes. But the director called me by name. And I remember this, that when the director called my name, I felt this flush of shame. I had nothing to be ashamed of, by the way. But that's what happened when I got called in public. And he talked to me, and I'm sure I nodded my head, and I'm sure I said, thank you. And here's why I remember this, is because driving home that night, I remember at a stoplight, I remember exactly where I was, at the stoplight I thought, I don't know what he told me. I never really took it in. I didn't know what he told me. And so I was now, as this young actor, in this horrible dilemma of going back to my director the next day and going, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What? Like, would you tell me again? And like, make me look like an idiot. Or I was going to go out on stage and not do his note and look like I was ignoring him. Oh my gosh, right? It was a horrible choice. I did not like that feeling. And I thought, I don't know how to do this better, but I don't want to be like this. Taking in feedback is a lifelong journey. It is not like flipping a light switch. One of the things, by the way, that really helped me learn how to take in feedback has been to be delivering feedback for a living. I have been delivering challenging feedback to people my entire career. As a friend of mine says, you know, we coaches, we often get hired to say the things no one else will say. And that role suits me fine. I'm fine with that. But it does mean I get to witness many, many, many different ways of people processing what might be tough information about themselves. You're not going to be surprised to hear that for some people it's easier to take in than others. But really, here's the good news. And I believe this deeply. Taking in feedback is a skill that everyone can get better at. And that is what the tools in this episode are all about. I hope you will use them. Taking in feedback is a journey. If you would like a wonderful book, a wonderful book on taking in feedback, it's called Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And then they have a little asterisk, and the asterisk down below says, 
even when the feedback is off-base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. It's written by two of the people from the Harvard Negotiation Project who wrote Difficult Conversations, another fantastic book, Douglas Stone, Sheila Heen. As you can tell from the title, it's a fun read. They explain their concepts really well, and they have really practical tools. Thanks for the feedback. Another tool to help you think about feedback is the Johari window. I explained it last month in the Blind Spots episode, February 2021. There's a PDF of the Johari window if you'd like it. Uh, the link is in the show notes. Go help yourself. I've got one more idea that I find really exciting that I would like to tell you about after this month's gratitude. I want to start my gratitude this month for a group of people who I hope you will get to meet someday soon. I've been reaching out to colleagues of mine, mostly coaches, that I have known for years, and I have asked them all, would they design experiences for you, listeners of the podcast? And they have all said, yes. So we've all agreed we are going to do them live uh, some of them will be long and months long. Some of them will be short, but we're going to have a range of courses and people for you to meet. So for example, J.B. Adams from Orlando is designing a course on workplace storytelling. And I swear to you, it's going to be like going to business school. It's fantastic. A colleague of mine, Susan Smalley, who is a really insightful and gifted coach, she's going to do her program for women. It is a very meaningful experience. I am so glad she's bringing it to us. And then, I hope you love this, Rachel Verlick. Rachel Verlick is a coach in the Washington, D.C. area. I've known Rachel for a long time. And Rachel is now on a first-name basis with Brene Brown. Now, if that's a new name for you, Brene Brown is a rock star in the personal growth world. Think like Tony Robbins scale of popularity. Brene Brown is a global figure. Well, Brene Brown wrote a bestseller called Dare to Lead. It was for us in the workplace, and it's powerful. Well, after it became a bestseller, Brene Brown decided to create a leadership course, but she wasn't going to teach it herself. But Rachel got trained by Brene Brown, and now Rachel is going to come and do it with all of us. I cannot wait. I am very excited about all the people that you are going to have a chance to learn from. So thanks to them. Also this month, I am grateful to the people who completed the survey. Thank you very much for taking the time to do it. We will draw two names, so I'm going to get to talk with two more listeners. Watch your email. Might be you. I'm also grateful to the folks who post reviews. It is truly the lifeblood of this podcast, so thank you very much. This month, we have a review from Romania. Greetings to you in Romania, Gogoshu. Thank you. Welcome to the community, and thank you for your kind words. Here in the U.S., Jason Shimmerhorn and Fortify1961, thank you both. It is no joke that I am really gratified reading what you write. I am grateful. Thank you. Okay, here's the last idea about receiving feedback. Receiving feedback. I am going to make a guess. As you have been listening to this podcast, I've been talking about the goal of taking in feedback. I've said we're naturally barricaded against feedback. I'm going to guess that you have been picturing feedback as constructive criticism, right? I really set the story up that way. I would be surprised if you didn't think of it that way. But let me introduce something else. What about compliments. 
How are you about taking in compliments? A lot of people tell me they have trouble taking in compliments, and it has been hard in my life too. But think about it. What is a compliment? Compliment is just feedback, right? Someone tells you where you stand in the pack, and you're standing pretty far forward in that part of the pack. Is that easy to hear for you? Can you really take it in? Do you remember during the episode, I repeatedly coached Martin. I said, look, when you're trying to take in feedback, be curious, ask questions, take responsibility for the meaning, be prepared to repeat it back later. That all sounds really reasonable, right? Doesn't it? How would those same tools sound if you applied them to hearing a compliment? Could you be curious about the compliment? Could you ask questions? Could you take responsibility for the meaning and be prepared to repeat it back later? It's an interesting twist, isn't it? Doesn't it? it changes how you think about it. Anyway, feedback isn't only constructive criticism. If you want ideas to help you on your lifelong journey of development, please head on over to the archive, help yourself. When you're in the archive for things related to this, there is a filter called feedback. I've written a lot about feedback over the years. The archive is on the Essential Communications website. It's essentialcom.com. It's essentialcom with two M's.com. When you're there, you could also sort the archive using the filters leadership, managing yourself, perception, how you perceive yourself. It's all related to these ideas of unblocking feedback. Five episodes that you might look at are getting good feedback, handling feedback effectively, Perception is reality. Ooh, perception is reality. Performance reviews and soliciting feedback. To all of you, thank you so much for all your support. Okay, that's it for me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.